The following is a Teatro del Pueblo production. Welcome to Coco's Barrio, where our dogs bark Spanish lullabies. The Mississippi surprise is always sneaking in the heart. There are more ways to say, Que frio! You betcha! Than you ever thought possible. But the warmest place is where the heart is. Where the heart is home. This is our home. Welcome to Coco's Barrio, where our gatos meow. Languages where you can also find the Latino paradise. Welcome, welcome to Coco's Barrio. This is part three of our Women's History Month series, and we are very excited to have music from Maria Isa. And with us, Professor Karen Mary Davalos will take us on a journey through Chicana art. And as always, yo, 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 su servidora Coco. The bird has its nest, the spider its web, and people have friendship, said William Blake. But I would also add that people's nest is art, too. Yes, friendship and art. Because when we face adversity, these two give us inspiration and hope. For example, while talking with Maria Isa today, she told me that art was the spark that kept her connected to the world and her daughter during the pandemic. And also Karen Mary Davalos reflected on how her friendship with artists kept her from feeling isolated during difficult times. And I thought, yeah, there is no better revolution than art. <laughs> and the best expression of ourselves is when we share with an ally, a friend, And you know what else I discovered? That these are available to everybody if we look for them. Blanca Varela, Peruvian poet, born in 1926, talks about true friendship in her poem Historia. And it goes like this. Puedes contarme cualquier cosa. Creer no es importante. Lo que importa es que al aire mueva tus labios o que tus labios muevan el aire. Que fabules tu historia, tu cuerpo, a toda hora sin tregua, como una llama que a nada se parece, sino a una llama. You can tell me anything. Believing is not important. What matters is that your lips move into the air, or that your lips move the air, that you make up your story, your body, at all hours without respite, like a flame that resembles nothing but to a flame. And I wish you lots of art and true friendship in your life so that you too can be a flame. Are you a feisty Latina? Do you get so heated you can't stop wagging your index finger and bobbing your head to tell them people they know nothing? We have the app for you. Calm Latinas in Training. Clit. Hey, great party, right? Yeah. Oh, I love the song. Oh, let's dance, mommy. Too much Latina. Too much Latina. Please only do step touch, step touch when dancing. Too much salsaing will result in too much Latina. It is reliable even in the most heated situations. Speak English. This is America. Mira, senora. I can speak whatever. Too much Latina. 
Too much Latina. Please stay silent. Any retaliation will result in too much Latina. And here are some English lessons for you to take. Uh, are you serious? Clit, your trusting and reliable friend in the most heated situations. Also comes in quit, calm women in training. Hi, and we're talking with our friend Maria Isa, who recorded her new album Amor Universal during the pandemic. Yeah, what was considered scary for many of us, it's amazing to see that for Maria Isa, it was like a catharsis. <laughs> Maria Isa, you kept creating, and now we can enjoy what you created from hope. And we're going to talk about Voy Contigo. Yeah, Voy Contigo. Voy Contigo is um, it's another happy, happy song. It is. You know, I was reflecting a lot on just the love of being a mother. Like my daughter was turning one in the middle of writing this album, which is she's about to be three in April. And while I have to see like the benefits even inside of something that could be really traumatizing with like this, you know, crazy virus that's going around and I had to look at it as like, you know, while everything is shut down, she doesn't know any of this. She's She doesn't know what's happening around her. She just has so much innocence and beautiful and love. And and so, mm -hmm. and, 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 and wherever she is, I'm at. Yeah, exactly. It's the call of the artist, I think, you know, to be a, an agent of change, to give our audiences a feeling of hope and, and inspiration to continue you know especially when things get so dark and you could I couldn't beat myself up because of that I'm like we're all going through this challenge at the same time estamos juntos y estamos aquí con mucho amor y en donde estaré mi, en donde estará mi hija yo voy con ella voy contigo you know and um that was a gift to see me record that song and the vocals and yeah. make that arrangement of that music with her just being like you know, crawling, uh, walking to the microphone. It, there is, there's something that is just so beautiful that I'll never let go oh, of wow. that. Yeah. So, voy contigo. And we all go with you. Voy contigo para El Salvador, voy contigo pa' Colombia. 
for making us dance. <laughs> Stay tuned for more Maria Isa later on. Let's have a cafecito. Okay. Okay, and we're enjoying our cafecito here in La Placita. It's a beautiful, beautiful day. I have a excellent company here. Uh, mi cafecito has cinnamon and it's delicious. And I want you to meet my guest. She's enjoying a chamomile tea. Dr. Karen Mary Davalos, professor in the Department of the Chicano and Latino Studies at the University of Minnesota. And she is the leading scholar of Chicana, Chicano, Chicanx art with four books on the subject and an expert on digital humanities, museum studies, community-based research methods, Latinx arts histories and Mexican-American art since 1848. That's an online digital tool linking art collections and related documents from libraries, archives, and museums across the nation. Professor Karen Mary Davalos, welcome to Coco's Barrio. Thank you. Thank you, Coco. And thank you for inviting me to have some cafecita, a little te, te with you. It is a beautiful yeah. day today. It is. It is. It's finally getting warmer. It's been a tough winter, mm -hmm. don't you think? <laughs> and, and you came from uh, Los Angeles. Yes. You grew up there, right? Yes, I did. But I, I lived uh, two and a half years in Chicago and mm -hmm. uh, a couple of years in, in the East Coast. So it wasn't, it was like coming back home to the Midwest. <laughs> yes. And, and, and you have an extensive academic career and you have published reviews and art and museums and and I know that in your family you had an influence from your parents right yes um, your father Dr. Ruben M. Davalos and your mother Mary Catherine Davalos tell me how was it growing up with them well I came from a very loving family my you know it's a interracial family my mother's Italian American and my father is Mexican heritage. They're both what you would consider like second generation. I don't know how people count these things, but my, on my mother's side, her grandparents came from Italy. On my father's side, his, his mother crossed the border several times uh, around the Revolutionary War. Mm -hmm. I, I'm one of four siblings. I'm the third daughter. They literally count us. You know, I, I answer emails number three or text messages. <laughs> I'm number three. Um, <laughs> And I think the the best part of my childhood was um, this close family with grandparents. You know, the, I always say that the word familia is not the same as family in English. English speakers think of family as their, they have a word for nuclear family, the parents and the children. You know, my familia was my grandmothers on both sides and my aunts and uncles, mostly from my father's side but also from my mother's side of the family. You know, that we saw them like every week. 
That was, mm-hmm. that was a normal thing. And so it was very hard when I moved uh, away for school. I was the only one to move away. I remember when I left um, also to move to Minnesota. My grandma, she, she took it like, why do you want to leave us? You know, and, and yeah, familia is, is such a strong word for us. Yeah. And it seems like you guys were very connected to your, to your heritage. Um, was it that way growing up? Would you go and, and see Chicano art? I, my parents went to see one of the first major exhibitions of Chicano art in a mainstream museum the Los Four exhibition at the L.A. County Museum of Art. Los Four was a a collective, uh, which included a woman. She was unrecognized, Judith Hernandez. Um, But they certainly raised me with a sense of being a Chicana. You know, my parents had this reproduction of a poster from the UFW struggles, the United Farm Worker. Uh We never, I grew up without eating lettuce. I grew up without eating grapes because of the strikes. Uh Uh-huh. And a lot of that sensibility about being Chicana came from my mother. My father was taught to, you know, be a good Mexican-American and assimilate. And mm-hmm. he literally had classes in high school to fix, so-called fix, his accent because he was raised speaking Spanish first. Mm-hmm. So my mother had to intervene and make sure we loved who we are. And especially, you know, we come in all colors. My family is a typical example of a Chicano-Mexicano family. We, we light-skinned, dark-skinned. My mother, being a light-skinned woman, imagine, you know, in 1964 when I was born, uh, what it was like for her to be in public space with dark-skinned children. Mm-hmm. You know, she had to make sure we loved our skin color and were not ashamed. And she was the one who... Who brought that forward consistently in the family. But, you know, Grandma was there too, my Nana. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't let us speak Spanish. That was, you know, I, I learned prayers and songs as a child before school. But once we started school, you know, she had put a stop to that. No, that's, a, you know, she thought that that would guarantee our success. Mm-hmm. So I had to learn Spanish in college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a very common experience, but at the time you feel like there's something wrong with you, you know? No, it's a very common experience. Usually it's the matriarch of the family that says, no, we need to make sure that the next generation gets ahead. Yeah. It was a survival. Yeah, survival strategy. And I made sure my own children, I enrolled them in a dual language program so that they would be native speakers. And they are. They are native Spanish speakers. That's wonderful. When did you start to move more into this Chicano, Chicana art, and advocating for the art? Well, you know, my first explorations of art were thinking about the space of the exhibition, you know, the community centers on how they would create a welcoming space for our communities and for the artists. Mm -hmm. When I was doing dissertation research in Chicago, when I was a graduate student, um, studying Mexicana identity and Mexicana practices, when I would go on holiday, I would go to the National Museum of Mexican Art. Mm-hmm. I spent so much time there in Chicago um, that that's, that's when I decided to take up in my first book 
this discussion of arts organizations and how they create space for a community that isn't, isn't given the welcome mat, isn't given a place to feel at home. So I was thinking about the exhibition space and I thought, oh, this is, this is important work. Yeah. And so that's when I got it. That's when I started thinking about, I want to write about the art, not just the exhibition. I want to bring that art forward so that people that aren't living in Chicago next to this amazing institution, I wanted to write about the art and the artists' lives to to bring that forward so that there could be a larger audience and appreciate that work. Absolutely. And so important to have the accessibility, you know, as as Latino families. You want some more tea? Yes, thank you. And can I have some of that andulce? Yes. Oh, thank you. Isn't that good? It's delicious. I love it. It's delicious. Yes. This episode of Cocos Barrio Women's History Month is presented by... Are you trying to get back into the swing of things after your breakup, divorce, or incarceration? Are you tired of reading the perfect people profiles of walks in the park, walks in the forest, walks on the beach while you're struggling to pay your rent, divorce lawyer, or bookie? I'd rather take a long walk off a short pier myself. Besides, way too much walking! Have we got a site for you, dumpies! Where we connect you with your BM or best mate whose life is as crappy as yours! We don't ask your age because we know it's older than dirt. We know you're not romance material, but you're good enough for now. Don't dump alone. Call Dumpies to find your BM and be dumpable together. Call us at 1 800 DUMPZBM. Abandon now. I like to put my, my pan dulce inside my coffee. I don't know if you do that, but I used to do that since I was a kid. Well, then, you, then, you need a, <laughs> then you need a spoon to s- get the little bits at the bottom of the cup when you're done. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about being a Chicana, you know, in, in academia and in art and, and through your research. You have seen how difficult has been for female artists to find her space because if, if it's difficult for us as say in general Chicanos or Latinos uh, find a, a place in the arts it is m- much more difficult as female artists and and can, can you tell us about how the female artists have been trying to find a place in an already patriarchal art community? I think the Chicana artists that I came to know very well and the ones that I'm getting to know here in the Twin Cities, the Latinas and Latinx, uh, gender fluid and trans artists that I've come to know, mm-hmm. you know, the, well, our own cultures have a bias against women, but we are not the only, you know, we don't have a monopoly on patriarchy. <laughs> you know, Chicanos or Latinos don't have a monopoly uh-huh. on patriarchy. Unfortunately, it's uh-huh. a, a global pandemic. Um, or it's endemic. Uh-huh. So yeah. the art world has its own layers of sexism. 
But the Chicanas that I have come to know, these artists, you know, every time they hit a wall, they just go about finding another way to get through, you know. I'm thinking right now of Margaret Garcia in Los Angeles. She recently was unhappy with the collecting practices at institutions or what collectors were focusing on. And so she's putting together a list of Chicana Latina artists to say, you know, there's more than just the men out there. Mm-hmm. So it conti- you know, like continues, like get up and try again and pushing against these biases. I, mm-hmm. I'm always inspired by artists who just, they'll just do their own thing. You know, they're like, don't wait for invitation. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate your your book about Yolanda Lopez. Is there any artist that resonate with you? A, a particular voice well, I, of an artist? I, that- you know, you've mentioned Yolanda Lopez and I, And I always um, want to tell the world that I'm grateful that she gave me her time. You know, th- we spent three days together um, conducting an oral history, a life history, and that's what informed the book. Um, you know, she was always focused on the intergenerational expressions of Chicana feminism. She didn't focus on a singular image of women or a singular kind of feminist act action or activity or expression. You know, her mother, the image of her mother, a rotund, a round woman sitting at a sewing machine. Uh, You know, the working woman is a kind of feminism. Oh, yeah. And her own self-portraits moving forward, energized, physically active, responsible for moving herself from one place to another, getting out of a situation that's uncomfortable or unsafe is another kind of feminism. And that that spoke to me. And then she also subtly talks about sexuality, you know, that women are in charge of their, or should be in charge of their own sexuality. So her voice is spoken to me. And then the other artist I want to mention is... Barbara Carrasco, whose light skin gave her access to spaces that other darker skin folks in her family, her sister in particular, didn't have access to. But it also allowed her to hear the injuries and racism, you know, where they would say negative things about Mexicans or even her own family. And so she has this image, Milk the Pass, where it's a huge milk, like a glass bottle. Mm-hmm. And her figure is inside, all painted white, um, speaking to the colorism in our own communities, in our own families, and how unhealthy that colorism is. Yeah. Uh, the image shows her gasping for air. And if she, if she slips with her shoulders, she'll fall into this milk bottle and basically drown. You know, it will kill you. That white privilege will kill you. Her message, her voice has always spoken to me. But I'm also inspired by her as as a person because she um, traveled to, at the time, the Soviet Union and drank water that was probably contaminated. It was outside of the, the Chernobyl area where they had had a nuclear disaster. And she ended up with bone cancer. 
and had to reteach herself how to draw because her arms, her hands were not as steady after the cancer, after she recovered. Wow. And when she told me that story, I thought, wow, like the thing that she lives for to be an artist, and she's a very fine, detailed, you know, an incredible draftsman. Um, she had to reteach herself. Wow. She endured and persevered against a cancer that almost took her career from her. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, most of the artists that, you know, I had interviewed 17 artists for a research project. Most people aren't going to be familiar with any Chicana artists. Yeah. You know, adding, like you said, those layers of racism and sexism and classism. Mm -hmm. And now, thanks to the work that you do, we know about them. I mean, one of the reasons why I created the, the project Mexican-American Art since 1848, this online digital tool, is I had done these 17 oral histories. They averaged 10 hours apiece. Is this tool, I'm sorry to interrupt, but is this available to everybody? Yeah, yeah. At M-A-A-S-1848 dot U-M, as in mother, N, as in never, dot E-D-U. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's one, it's one mechanism to share uh, the kind of art that's inspired my life. Okay, so uh, that's wonderful. Thank you for doing that. I wanted to say that when you, you ask me, does a particular voice, does a particular woman inspire me? I, I pulled out three names, but there are countless other artists who've inspired me. I mean, I cannot continue to do the work I do without the support of artists, including those here in the Twin Cities, Tina Tavera. Yes, um, Tina. Javier Tavera, Dougie Padilla, Luis Don Fitch. Yes. Constanza O. Cavallo. Uh -huh. uh, these artists have welcomed me in to the Twin Cities, and I, it's gotten me through this pandemic to feel healthy and welcome and, and safe during an unsafe time. So I want to acknowledge them. Yes. Thank you for that. Uh, Tina and Javier were in our show. Yes, but they didn't get cafecita. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, because we were kind of, you know, it was the middle of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. well, well, of course, we still have to be careful, but uh, it's such a pleasure to be here having this conversation with you. And I, I, I want to say thank you so much for everything that you're doing and for giving us access to all this art through the Mexican-American art since 1848. Thank you for, for the beautiful work you do and, and because it's essential for the advocacy and support of the BIPOC artists, the Latine and the Latinx artists. Is there anything that you would like to tell our audience about the Chicano art that you are advocating for? I guess I just want to say that If you think you know what Chicano art is, I ask you to think again, because there's probably an artist out there that will challenge your expectations and, and bring a smile to your lips. Yeah. Because they're doing important yeah. work that needs to be recognized. Yes. Thank you, Karen Mary. I appreciate you. And thank you for coming to Coco's Barrio. Thank you for having me. <laughs> It was a pleasure. Have, have more tea. Thank you. I'll take that last bit of... Pan dulce. <laughs> yeah, you can have it. 
Yeah, it is. It is good, but I am already full. <laughs> hey, and now we are going to listen another song by Maria Isa from her album. And suave, we have yeah. suave next. It's a reggaeton dancehall vibe, and uh-huh. in Minnesota we hibernate when it's cold, but we also know how to keep warm. <laughs> And like suave mm-hmm. for me was in that cuffs of March and April where you're still in a polar vortex and it's snowing and but it it's gonna warm up. Spring is here. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking about all the amazing like dancers in our community that I know we're feeling troubled yeah. as much as us in everywhere around the world, but like to make a living, not being able to dance and feel the audience and connecting. And I thought about I want to make a song that's going to make all my dancer friends go in the mirror and dance Mm -hmm. and choreograph. And just as much as I needed to record music, they need to dance to it. Boy, it got me in a really good (laughs) mood. I was dancing.
this was Coco's Barrio Women's History Month. We hope you enjoyed the whole series. Thank you to our guests, Maria Isa and Karen Mary Davalos, for their wonderful contribution to the show. Stay tuned with your barrio, because there are many great things in the works for the next shows. Follow us on Teatro del Pueblo social media accounts, subscribe to this podcast, and recommend us to your friends. Y a seguir avanzando, okay? Hasta la próxima. This Cocos Barrio Women's History Month was directed and produced by Alberto Justiniano, associate producer Barry Mador, host Silvia Pontaza. The story Women on the Move was written and developed by Silvia Pontaza, Linda Cantú, Virginia McFerrin, Kathy Piñero, Maria Isabel González, with Abel Piñero, Kaylin Rainbow Keir, Ernest Briggs, and Yvonne Fries from Teatro del Pueblo Acting Troupe. Musical arrangements, Vladimir Garrido. Musical director, Natalia Romero Arbeláez. Special guest, Karen Marie Davalos. Musical guest, Maria Isa. Sound design and mixing, Barry Mador. Social media and marketing, Siri Berry. This show was made possible by contributions from the Knight Foundation, the McKnight Foundation, and the Minnesota State Arts Board. And I am Coco, signing out until next time. Un besito. This podcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Minnesota State Arts Board through an appropriation by the Minnesota State Legislature and a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts. For more information on Coco's Barrio, visit Teatro del Pueblo Minnesota's Facebook page or our website, www.teatrodelpueblo.org. 